Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And I'm Torrance. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to open the mail. Okay, y'all, so something very exciting is going on this week, and it is our one-year anniversary. Torrance Trail, how do you feel? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about it. I just felt old. It's kind of crazy that this happened A one year, year ago. ago. Yeah. Um, the first and thing we're going to do. Pandemic. Oh, wait, we still are in the pandemic. Some things haven't changed. Oh, no. <laughs> the most productive version of the two men walk into a bar. Oh, accurate. <laughs> no, for real. It was a low bar. Well, I think <laughs> that this episode is going to look a little different from the others to all our audience members today. We're actually going to go, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to answer some audience questions. We're going to do some past reflections on where we've been, and we're going to talk a little bit about the future too. So let's start with kind of how the last year has gone. Um, I'll start with you, Terrell. Uh why me? <laughs> because, Trell, you've been here since the beginning, just like me. <laughs> Sorry, Torrance. Yeah, wow. Just, no, no, this, just no I was going to say, I was like, let, I was like, let me, uh, I mean, I might as well help facilitate this part because, I mean, you know, you guys did start this. This was, as I was just mentioning, um, from you literally sitting in a bar and deciding maybe this is something you would do. Um, and it is the most productive thing. I mean, we don't talk about this on air a lot, but of course, I mean, we're, you know, we're all young people working, you're going to school and this is, we, we love doing this. We love what we talk about. We love what we think this stands for. And I mean, and it's something that you should be very proud of. And so I do want you two to go first. Please do tell me, how are you guys feeling a year into this? Yeah, Caleb, That's how right. are you, Why don't you start? Into this? <laughs> now you guys see what I deal with. <laughs> I did finish my statement first, so I do think you should start. Okay, okay, I'll start. Okay. I think it's really funny. Um, I actually have had several people talk to me about like things that they want to do over the past year, year and a half or so. And I like it like I like there's people who are really driven and they really want to do something and they come to me and they're like, they're like, but I just don't know if I really have the time to do this, you know, all this stuff. And I just kind of tell them I've told them all really the same thing and it's just kind of what we've experienced throughout mm-hmm. and what we've experienced was that we had this idea like what back in like January or February of 2020 and we didn't start until October because it's really hard to just start but once mm-hmm. you do it like that's where the magic happens you know but you have to actually like do you it just though. needed a way to say that's where the magic that's how the magic happens that's how the magic happens you know dangerously uh, likely to uh I need to leave <laughs> So yeah, like, so we only made it a year. It's a true sadness. Uh, yeah, it was a great time. <laughs> the band is broken up. Haven't talked in a long time. <laughs> Are we One Direction or? <laughs> I just, you know, I think that what we did that's different than I think a lot of people is we actually did it. Yeah. And we kept with it too. And I think that's also like, I don't know. That's pretty, that's a pretty big deal as well. I, this past year has been so crazy. I can't believe that for nearly every week I've edited a freaking podcast. episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Those things take a while to edit too, y'all. I'm just here to look pretty <laughs> yeah. and give my voice. But like beyond. He's here to look pretty on a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> that's very true. Um, 
but I think like beyond like what it takes to actually make one, like we have done something really cool this year, which is not only did we like kind of start for something for ourselves and like stick with it, but we also, you know, I feel like, especially for the audience that we have, we've kind of become a voice for what's happening in the world. And yeah, there are takes and there's a lot of our opinions in there and whatnot, but we have really sh- like strived to make this like a con- conversational space. And if anyone disagrees, you know, you can talk to we us and fight them. Yeah, we'll fight. We'll fight you. No, I'm kidding. But, but I think that like seeing where we've come all this time and like what we do, like it feels like, I don't know. It feels like we've made hopefully somewhat of an impact. And I think we will continue to, as we start to look towards growth and whatnot. And I just, I'm really happy with what we've done and I'm glad we're still doing it. It's been a really, it's been a really fun year and I'm really looking forward to more fun years with y'all. See, that's why I let you go first. Cause then I don't have to say anything else. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think you're spot on. And how many of our friends have we been able to connect with and lend support on how to start a podcast or how to do recording, like lending graphics help. It It is crazy how one decision can impact not only yourself, but so many lives. And I, I think and feel that this podcast has been that for at least me. I won't speak for either of you. Um, but it's given me the space to connect with people differently, have different conversations, um, keep pointing out that clearly we need to be writing scholarly articles because half the time our podcast says what some news article says in two weeks or two days after we say it, like we are in the know. Um, it was wild last week with Idaho. That was very wild. (laughs) I don't want to talk about it. Um, but also, it's a space that our generation just doesn't have as much of a space in without it being overtly polarizing or just not really um, being able to connect with everyone. So I'm very appreciative that we're able to build this community and this opportunity for just everyone to engage and, and understand what is happening with the Build Back Better agenda and what is in the reconciliation bill because lord knows the democrats won't tell you um and then what would you cut yeah spoiler alert nothing Uh, um but also what the supreme court is and why it's so frustrating how it's being covered when there's always these opportunities and spaces that there's actually deeper points even though neither of you guys agree, because I'm just the contrarian, I'm very glad that we can provide context to a lot of the conversations that are happening right now. Context and a, you're right, a generational voice. Yes. Torrance, <laughs> I think we need to turn to you now because I, you came in, what, probably about halfway through the past year of us being a podcast, actually. Actually, almost probably six months into it, around Torrent started on March the 4th. Well, but I joined the team on March the 4th. Yeah, so it was like six months. My first show guest as a guest was in December. Or yes. December. We had so few listens that we tried not to talk about that episode, actually. Oh, well, you know, I guess this is a time to thank those who, who st- stood strong and been <laughs> the journey through the rough patch. You know, like the, the, the takeoff might have been a little, a little bit of turbulence, but. Uh, it's been smooth sailing. 
Well, like what I wanted to say was I just like and by sailing I mean flying. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it with the same metaphor. At this point, am I the only sober one on this podcast? <laughs> I, no, I mean that was just a slip of the tongue. <laughs> so it I, isn't his first time. I what I what I like. Oh God! What I really fails <laughs> for Peter's sake. What I'm really trying to get at here is: so you came in about half a year into this little experiment that we've decided to pursue, and. I really felt like, and I don't know if I speak on behalf of you or not, Terrell, but I really feel like for me, when you came in, like we really, we, we, that's when we really like figured out and set like the structure of the show of what we know and, and hopefully love today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I'm curious, Terrell, or Torrance, what? All black people don't look alike. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so what, what, how, do you, how do you reflect back on the last few months that you've uh, been part of this cool little? Thing that we call a podcast um you know I, I i said it you know i think in in our social media post which was something that i really felt that like this has been this has offered so much levity as is i think evidenced in the first part of this podcast thus far <laughs> like with through the mess of the world over the last you know nearly two years now at this point and I also felt like an immense amount of responsibility because I've always been someone who's, who's spoken up and tried to, to lead where I felt like it was important or, or try to be a voice for those who mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable doing that because it's something that always has come easily to me. And in that, I always felt a responsibility and kind of compounding on that, like with this show, there is a responsibility to know your shit and then to, and to realize that you are impacting some people and you are helping shape some people's beliefs or offering information they haven't had or giving them a perspective that they haven't um, been exposed to. And there's a lot of opportunity and real, like, I mean, we're lucky to have that opportunity. I think that that has to be acknowledged, but there's a lot of responsibility in what that means. And I take that seriously, Mm -hmm. but I love that that has never gotten in the way of us having a good time and talking about things candidly and definitely from the perspective of, of people our age and the way that we talk about issues and the way that they impact our lives differently than they do different generations. And so I just feel lucky that you know you guys invited me to be a part of this and um that you've allowed you know that this to your point of the structure that i introduced was a little bit of ocd and a lot of bit of you know i studied broadcasting yeah and i studied broadcasting in in undergrad and so i did know a bit about what i was talking about and how to produce a show and Mm -hmm. and why that matters and with the way that you present information matters and i'm just lucky to have you know contributed something positive to what we're doing and and i'm really grateful for the opportunity so i'm looking forward to year two as well absolutely i mean i was just talking about the met gala episode um earlier of good times yes but also we i don't know if caleb and i would have had an episode like that because no i i i'm not i don't know like personally for me like i'm just not as in tune to like yeah. some of these cultural pieces that yeah. y'all are and so like like you two add like another layer of what that we we can like dive into and whatnot and you've kind of forced me to like start to be more aware of what's happening in the world not just of politics but of and not just movies really everything that's happening <laughs> well yeah and don't you feel like that was kind of really authentic to our generation where like we have so much information at our fingertips in a way that the previous generation didn't. And that mm-hmm. allows our, I think our entertainment and celebrity to show up just as big and as often as 
our politicians and you know yeah. what's going on in our country and there's not like this response the civic responsibility put on a lot of politicians i mean a lot of celebrities whether they deserve it or should have it or we should be doing that at all as a society that their voice is so much more relevant to these topics but that speaks to i think the change in the way that we view them in society but also it it, it reflects i think how deep-seated our issues are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because people who live in privilege and in that space who could could easily ignore it are also affected by these issues. Yeah. And so it's like when when capitalism and money doesn't protect you from these issues, what what do you do, right? That's what mm-hmm. celebrity gives you. Status gives you a, lar- a louder voice, a larger platform. But we've missed out on the biggest impact of this podcast has had it has turned me into a conservative. Go figure. Oh, <laughs> the new Candace Owens. The new Candace Owens. <laughs> Sometimes you need just pays a well. Little... I haven't gotten that check yet, so <laughs> come back to me. Um, but sometimes you just need that little extra bit of um, spice, contrarianism, as y'all would like to call it, to make a conversation fun. All right, y'all. I think it's time for some questions. What do y'all think? Yeah, let's get into it. So we, as you saw on our social media, and as we discussed last week at the end of the podcast, uh, we kind of sent out a, a bat signal for some questions um, and so we could do a mailbag episode because we know that we like we we're just mentioning talk a lot about politics and pop culture and we felt like this would be a fun opportunity for us to to dive into some of that more stuff that stuff more um, without being super specific to celebrate our one year so we've got a list of questions that we've grabbed in in numbers and we've got a number um I don't know, what would, what would you call this? A, a number, a random number, a number generator yeah. generator for us to choose them <laughs> at random so that we're not like uh, deciding what's in the mailbag. So let's shake the mailbag and grab one out. That's the sound effects of the Shaking the mailbag sound effects courtesy of my mouth. As a University of Michigan fan, does hurt me a little bit that this is the first question. Um, but shout out to Torrance's colleagues and the staff at Notre Dame for the following. Why does it feel like teachers, children, and our education system are always talked about, but nothing ever happens? I'm assuming like talked about like in... And I'm assuming media and politics, but it just doesn't seem like there's any major action towards it. Look no further than... Towards improving the system. Yeah, look no further than... We haven't overhauled. Right. Like we haven't done anything to overhaul or largely invest in our education system in quite frankly, decades. Um, And what happens when you have a department that actually doesn't do anything but manages alone. Right. And it's something that I think most voters would say in some way has impacted them and is an issue that they care about. Whether that's, I think, right, we talk about teachers' wages. I don't know a single person who thinks that a teacher makes enough or is making too much. I don't think that I know anyone who feels really strongly about the state of public education as a whole, right? Like, because it's very dependent. So you might love your school, but you might live in a very affluent area that has incredible funding because of the structure of our education system. Or like you mentioned, Terrell, the the impact of student loans on an entire generation of young Americans who can't seem to start building a life because they are held down by the anchor that they were told was the promise of their future. And, the, and all it has really been, and we can attest to it, has been a, a, a promise that you will be in debt for a long time and be unable to buy the things that allow you to do well. But you know. I, you don't want me to start because oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, know. this was a 
thesis of a paper I wrote in undergrad, and I have a lot of opinions on this. So well, I'll save my thoughts. I have a couple things that came to mind. So Torrance, along those lines, like also the curriculum that is taught, like that is when I grew universal. up, it's not universal, but in North Idaho, I grew up like, and I learned about like a relative amount of like what our history is and whatnot, but I never learned like the uh, Tulsa race riots. I didn't know that happened until I was in college. Yeah. Like, you like know, there's a ton of stuff that like we just decided to leave out of the curriculum mm -hmm. in terms of history and whatnot. Um, I also think that like, I don't know, this uh, infrastructure bill could actually do a little bit to, what are you going to shake your head at me the whole time? You're, it's not going to do anything, but continue. Um, no, no, but I'm just saying that some of the provisions in it like, like do address a little bit of education, although... I'm not, education is just, just like weird, massive behemoth that's different every single place you go. And yes. I'm not, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly what the solution to that is, at least for me. That is the solution. <laughs> that everywhere is different? No, it's, <laughs> it's the fact that as one country, there is no standardized curriculum. Mm -hmm. All we have is the unfortunality of our last education president i.e. President George H.W. Bush, who pushed through No Child Left Behind and moved us to a standardized system where every school has a test that they know their students have meet from a proficiency mark. But beyond that, there's no standardized or uniform way of educating or, or teaching to that. Every state has its own curriculum basis. Every district has its own curriculum mm -hmm. basis. And that's why you see the broad disparities between, I'll use Michigan because it's easier for me, but I guess I don't know too. Um, you see broad disparities between like Detroit public schools and the Novi school district. Same goes for, um, you have East Boise High, but you have um, Bora and their curriculums are inherently different because their funding sources are different. What Boise school district gets is very different than what Coeur d'Alene does. Um, yeah. And that's why I made that comment at the start. Again, I'm showing how passionate I am about this because I it very much frustrates me. And the Obama administration attempted to fix this with Race to the Top, but use it as a competitive grant to force states to come up with different ideas and, again, exacerbated the, the lack of equity in the space. We have a Department of Education whose sole purpose is the fostering of America's future is focusing on supporting American youth, but they don't prescribe standardized curriculum. There is no basis or provision for the Department of Education to do that. What they do manage, however, is all the grants that go to school districts and they manage the funding piece, which is very important. But um, as I said in my thesis that I wrote, how awesome would it be if there was a standardized performance metric that the United States had that it really truly could associate here? Can we stop with this crap about teacher creativity and educational freedom? There is an opportunity for teachers to educate and teach, but have the materials given to them so that they can do it their own way. One of the most profound and probably traumatic experiences I had growing up was in my high school. The only black teacher I had in my high school loved to do a simulation of what um, the slave trade was like. So all of the lights in his room would be cut off. He wouldn't tell anyone beforehand. And when we walked through the door, 
he would literally physically shove us into a, a box that he taped out on um, the ground and simulate this is what happened. You you didn't know that someone was going to kidnap you in the night. You didn't know that you're going to be thrown here. Um, and then he would go through and pick random students and tell them that they had been promoted and then reinforce this behavior that they had to make sure that the the slaves in the box were doing what they were told, weren't talking, weren't fraternizing, da, 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 da. all of these pieces, right? He hit the curriculum piece that the school district has, but he did in a creative way that made an impact and helped people learn. These are the problems with our education system. This is the issue. The fact that I know more about the Edmund Fitzgerald in Michigan than I know about the Tulsa riots tell you that we have a problem nationally, not from a state perspective. But I mean, I want to just take a moment to to actually get to like, I think the root of the, that's, I think, a yes. very important point, but the root of the question, which is like, why does it feel like this is the case, right? Like, why does it feel like this is a constant political football that we never stop hearing about? And it actually alludes to another question um, that I know was submitted and that we hopefully, hopefully get to, but there's so much large agreement on it that, and why do we never have any progress? I mean, specifically just to say this to this listener, please look at what's, what's going to end up into, into this um, human infrastructure bill. There's a lot of educational components to it. it is not nearly the educational overhaul that we need, but it's an mm-hmm. investment an opportunity for mm-hmm. people um, with the provisions around two years of community college, making it free, the opportunity for um, early uh, universal pre-K for childcare, um, I think it's just pay attention to this. Look at this fight. Look how hard it is for us to take baby steps towards yeah. the actual overhaul and reform that we need for our education system. There are clear opponents to these policies, and you have to ask yourself why, and you have to be more diligent, I think, in paying attention to the, the motives and the actions of these people because we we hear the problems we seem to understand what those solutions could be but we lack the political courage to implement them and i think to to answer the question directly it is rooted in everything that we said right the reason it's a political football is because as much as we want to act as if we are still the united states of america we really aren't we're closer to the articles of confederation than we were when we were under them where each state makes its own policies and does its own things and operates in its own way and the federal government is there to provide funding, but it is not pro- there to provide the the outline and the structure and all the pieces for states to do it. They'll give you some options. I mean, um, think back to the Trump administration, how many states signed on to the Paris Climate Accords because the federal government had done it prior and they cared about it. Mm-hmm. That is the crux of why this specifically with teachers and education is such an issue is the closest we ever got was the... Um, 1619 project by New York Times that just allowed for any educator to take it. And that idea of a centralized education system sparked the most recent conservative movement that it is all about critical race theory and they're trying to indoctrinate our kids against America, which is just inherently not true. Those are the precipice and the principles of the sense of doing something as a collective country just doesn't work because our states don't no longer function as individual entities to the state they function as their own thing and and it makes it harder to make a big move in education yeah on to the next question so since i've kind of taken lead as the announcer of the questions um shout out to my bestie um autumn ass 
How do you deal with imposter syndrome and the isms in the workplace as a young professional? Which I think is very fitting for all of us as we have um, made some strides in all of our relative professions. Have we? I haven't. I would say you have. <laughs> I'm just a part-time student worker. I mean, but that data project you did was huge and allowed mm, for that's true. advancement to finally do things that places should... Never mind. I don't work at Boise State anymore. I don't need to bash them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I'll just go ahead and, yeah. and start. Like, I don't know. This is like a, this is an interesting one to me because I actually don't think about it a lot, even when I'm feeling it. Um, I actually, so there was two summers in my undergrad when I worked at HP as an intern, full-time intern. And I genuinely had no idea what we were doing. And I was, I was actually allowed to be in their internship program like a year before they normally allow people to be, which was like, okay, that's cool. But then I got in there and realized I had no idea what the fuck was going on. Like it was a financial internship. I didn't really understand. It was completely different than anything I'd seen from like my education and whatnot. And like part of that's a good thing, like having that experience and like seeing how things can be a little bit different than what I thought it would be. I don't know, things like that, you know. Um, it was a lot. And I actually came out of my first three months of that feeling pretty good. I felt like we did some cool projects where we actually, I actually worked on an acquisition, which interns don't usually get to work on. And I thought that was pretty cool. And my manager was pretty supportive. Um, but the second time I went through it, it just wasn't the same story. I didn't get a lot of direction and I didn't really know what we were doing. And I felt like, I felt like I was a failure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't feel like that as much this time around, although I still get a little bit nervous that I'm just not meeting the expectation, and, you know, but I'm not getting the feedback that I'm not. I don't know. I, I know this is like kind of the definition of imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> how do I deal with it? I don't. That's a great question. I'm not really sure how I deal with it. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. I think I just kind of move forward and I try to. I try to do things that I know how to do. And I try to, when I was an undergrad at those internships, I just never asked questions even. And I've really tried to fight against that. I've tried to ask questions, even if it makes me feel like I'm a dumbass and not meeting those expectations again. And I don't know, I guess I just kind of keep moving forward. I don't really have a great answer. Sorry, Autumn. That is a great answer. (laughs) I, I feel like it resonates a lot with people in our generation, Torrance. Yeah, I, I feel like I definitely have a, quite a bit to say about this, but I'll try to be succinct. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, working at Notre Dame, I've, I've definitely been very lucky um, with my professional experience there. Um, the way that people have seen my hard work, have have noticed my talent, um, what I bring to the table, and and have offered opportunity and for growth and, and networking and access and development. And, I, and I've been very lucky in that regard. And that's certainly, I don't even want to speak for the whole university. That's not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the case everywhere. Um, but still, I find myself in, in rooms where I know the default expectation is that I'm not going to speak up or say anything, yep. right? Or that or that like I shouldn't have anything to say or, or to contribute. Mm-hmm. Whereas... But I, and, and that's definitely the imposter syndrome because that'll, that'll most often occur when I'm like, I can see the solution. Like I have it right here in my brain. If I speak up and share, I think we're going to, we're going to get somewhere positive and beneficial. Right. And I luckily am someone who doesn't bite my tongue. 
And I think that's probably where a lot of the opportunity and development has come because I speak up, but not just to have something to say. I'm very intentional about like, is this coming from a good place? Mm -hmm. Is this not like, is this not about you being right? But like, does this provide these solutions, like being solutions oriented and like not only thinking about, and like, this is definitely a downfall too. Like I'm not always thinking about business. Like I'm thinking about like, is this, is this move beneficial to employees? Does this make them feel valued? Does this give, make them, does this give them the proper tools and resources to do their job well? Yep. Um, and I constantly am, am always thinking about that. And I feel like just like in other spaces in my life, I, I speak up on behalf of others a lot and, and not like, Oh, I'm saying this for this person, but like, I hear the issues of people that I care about colleagues of mm -hmm. mine who don't have the same gumption to speak up and say something. And so I, I try to, to, to do my best to try to represent that when I, when I do, um, but it's constantly hard. But like, I, I guess what I would say, what I do about it is, am I doing the right thing? Do I feel like this actually provides a solution? Do I, I ask myself, is what I'm saying, does it need to be said? Does it offer anything new that hasn't already been said? Mm -hmm. And am I coming from a good spot, right? Like I'm not doing this to be right, to be the smartest person in the room. Am I doing this because I want to offer something good that is beneficial for all parties involved? And that's usually how I make my decision is like, if it is those things, then I can't allow what these like expectations of a professional environment say about what I should say when I should say it. Yeah. And I think it's important to highlight those expectations were written how many years ago? Like, yeah, I think the, the root of, and this is going to dive in a little bit deep too, but I think the root of imposter syndrome is the fact that we are one of the largest generational blocks in American history. We're the most educated generational block in American history. We're one of the more creative blocks in, in American history. Like we came to the table with so much more than our predecessors had. And I can't help but now look at it and think that this idea of imposter syndrome isn't that we are imposter, we are imposters in our workspace, but it's that older generation trying to hold some of that hierarchical structure over us and, and be able to say, hey, okay, you're coming in with all these new ideas, but can they really work? And, and what they should be saying is, tell me more, like, how can we make this happen? They should be more inclusive and more collaborative and wanting to do that. But it moves into the space of you're just a millennial. You don't, you don't understand the workspace yet. And we're also a generation that has the least amount of wealth in our country. We are all being forced into entry-level jobs after all the high resume building things that I just listed. We're a generation that was told to go to every after-school activity, to be a part of everything so that we could get into college. And then when we get into college, because we're so high-functioning, we do more things. Like, I think that's become my, my newfound understanding about imposter syndrome of, I don't need to overcome it. I need to recognize it as a system to keep me down and make me not want to be the director or challenge my employer who's been in a position for 20 plus years because they can't move up. Like, that's just... That's not fair to me. That's not fair to my employer. That's not fair to anyone, because if that's the case, you should have hired someone in high school who's going to give you the energy that you want. Yeah. And you know, what? I want to say one last thing because you reminded me of it. And and I was very lucky because shout out to Megan, who is my, my supervisor, like the whole time I've been at Notre Dame. She pushed me to to pull these ideas out, to speak up, to to would say, well, how can we make that work? How does that benefit the team? 
okay, how do we make, how do we implement that? Like, is that something like it would make me game it out and would make me talk like walk the walk when I would say something. Right. And that really helped me. There were not, there were times where I'm like, okay, that actually doesn't work. I didn't think that all the way through from mm-hmm. a spot I didn't see, but she gave me the tools and gave me the time and the space to do that and, and really challenged me on the things I would bring to the table. And it's only made me better. And what I would say, and I know so many people in my life who don't have this opportunity, like if you can find it in yourself and find the words, tell your direct supervisor, your director that you want to, you came here to get experience. You came here to, to be, to develop as a professional, to do more Mm -hmm. and, and be intentional and and straightforward and transparent about that intention and, and, and push that on them. Because if any company, any organization that you're working for that can't answer that, that ask for, for more development, for opportunity, for growth, to, to, to be a seat at the table, because you want to try to offer something to their company. And it is how you say it. It is how you bring it to them. Then, then I don't think that that company is, is in it for the right thing because good ideas come from every age and every color and every gender. Good ideas are good ideas. Yeah. No, I stand by what I said. Like probably depends what department you're That's fair. I would yeah. say all of student affairs, but um, <laughs> I, I just think I'm not touching that. With yeah, that's fair. And I, I'm yeah. saying this very much from a space of just being authentic with listeners here. Cause I know there are people from Boise state that probably are listening, but People should not feel like they have to stay there just because our country doesn't give us a living wage to survive. And I think to your point specifically, Torrance, if there's not room for you to develop and grow and be an even higher contributing member to your community, then what is that job offering you? And I'm going to be transparent. That is a genuine question that I think um, Boise State should answer. Let's go to the next question, friends. All right. This is the question that you alluded to before. That's the only reason I'm letting Notre Dame get to. Um, Go Irish. I'm just saying Michigan's still undefeated. Um, Why do you think our politics have become so divided while polling shows so much overwhelming support for specific policies, almost solely championed by Democrats? Because Democrats suck. No. I mean, that's eh, you're not completely wrong. That's some of it. I, I also, I mean, messaging, messaging, messaging is a that's, point. That's really, with messaging. That's actually a very valid point. That's really actually what I meant by Democrats suck. They suck at messaging, but also, um, we're also just in like a period of time where like a lot of people and this, this does apply to both sides. Um, a lot of people on either side of the spectrum, like might hear the mention of a Republican and automatically assume the absolute worst in that person when our politics shouldn't be like that mm-hmm. like you could think that someone has wrong views but like having a conversation about that maybe meeting people where they are or maybe them meeting you where you are yeah. and having having in-depth conversations about these things can maybe maybe it can provide a solution that both of you didn't see before and we're just i feel like we're missing that today don't forget obamacare was written by Mitt romney Yes, that, that's true. Massachusetts. I, we're just we're missing a lot in our politics. Um, yeah, who also helped write the child tax credit bill. Yeah, they're now that they now want to try to scrap from this infrastructure bill. So, you know, who also was hypocrisy is another thing, friends. Hypocrisy. Who also was a one of the leading voices on the George Floyd Act with um, Tim Senator Scott. Scott. Mm-hmm. What do y'all think? Those, those are kind I... of the two reasons I was. I want to say that's a number of things, right? You're right mm-hmm. that it is certainly messaging on our party's side, and we we've talked about that extensively. But uh, also, I came when we're out talking as a conservative that, today, I don't know if you can include me in this group. 
Um, You're evil. And, and, and well, well, like, well, no, and that right there, I think, Caleb, right? Like, as as members of the quote unquote media with the podcast, it's like yeah. there's there are entire wings of, of of the media that pander specifically to right wing talking points that are not providing facts and context for their listeners. And this is not just be being biased. I mean, they literally aren't right. Like we, we show them the, with the solution to an issue and there's 90% agreement on it. Right. And then they're being fed all this BS from the media that they consume. The, the people that they've elected are lying straight to their face and then voting another way. I mean, there is and then a lack of accountability by the media that they watch to question and push back on those elected officials that, because they're not watching anything else, right? Like they're not watching them get pushed back on another source. And like also this polarization has caused most Republicans to never go on any of the other mainstream um yeah, all the fake news. Media like CNN, MSNBC, um, you almost never see them on like CBS morning shows, you know, Sunday shows or ABC Sunday shows, which like are freaking OG American alphabet news stations that like still really i think like live up to that ethos in, in a really positive way and are super like great i like I, I think abc and nbc and cbs do great um news still if you, if you give them a chance because and it's so much less sensationalized than other yes. than other outlets even though i mm-hmm. i watch msnbc um and but i critique them in a way that i think our right-wing counterparts don't they just kind of take in the information and are yeah. so sensationalized by the personalities that they take it as fact. I just think that like communication in the media plays a huge role in the polarization of our country. When we sit down and we talk about things, we have so much more in common when it comes to policy, because at the end of the day, the reason that these democratic um, sponsored bills and policies that that have overwhelming support uh, by Americans is because they meet the issues where they are, which we have constantly talked about. And regular everyday people, when you take the politics out of it, see that they understand that and they want that. Mm-hmm. but they but fear has really gotten in the way yeah yeah the the only challenge i had there is i would argue maybe sensationalized isn't the right word for like abc cbs or yeah cbs um nbc so forth um I think they're Unless less they opinionated. Sensationalized. No, oh, okay, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I would right. say they're yeah. less opinionated. No, yep. opinionated. you're right. You're I do feel like they sensationalize certain things. They're like, oh, there's this contention. Let's talk about it for the next yeah, hour and a half wrong. of our show. But from a reporting standpoint, more so than exactly. like an opinion standpoint, right? But I think there's two factors at work here, personally. Um, you know me, always on my TikToks. There's a TikTok that. I watched recently that actually shifted my opinion on the filibuster slightly. What? Um, because we all knew after this last um, debt ceiling vote, like Mitch McConnell only changed his mind because the White House was starting to do some whipping to get the filibuster changed. And that is significant. It wasn't because of any other pieces, it wasn't because the country was about to go into default for the first time. For some reason, Mitch McConnell was genuinely that fearful that the filibuster could go. And this uh, TikTok goes a lot into a debate and a conversation around like all of those pieces and this and that. And I, I still stand by, like, as a person marginalized in this country, I do view the filibuster in a space of 
safety. And I know that might not be the best way to associate that, but that is genuinely why I'm so, I don't want to see it go because there could be some genuine harm caused to me if it were to disappear. I do think reforming it makes sense because right now we are not talking about the filibuster, we're talking about the cloture vote that essentially just kills everything. And that is a huge conversation that we need to have. I showed you the tweet I sent to Senator Manchin of, all right, you don't want to drop it down to 50, but are you willing to drop it down to 55 and tell everyone that if there's a cloture vote, that means it is triggering a filibuster, which means every senator needs to be in their seat the entire time listening to whatever senator triggered that. And if they don't make it to their three strikes, then their cloture fails and we move forward. I think that's fair and reasonable. Anyhow, so I think I think that's one reason uh, you have a party that will go to extreme ends to stop any type of reasonable legislation. And I credit Manchin and Cinema for trying to bring that party in and trying to find some common ground to get us back to where we were full transparency pre-Obama. Um, but it's Donald Trump's party now. They are not the party of limited government. They are not the party of big business. They are genuinely the party of whatever whatever Donald Trump likes, we'll vote for. Whatever Donald Trump doesn't like, we won't vote for. Great example, 2018, I think, is when the Democrats essentially gave the White House their um, budget of what they wanted. And the White House signed off on it because they didn't want to go to bat for that. They were like, yep, they did the work for us. We'll go with it. And the Democrats got a huge win there that I am very annoyed never got highlighted as much as it did. But it's those pieces that I think hinder our legislature from doing, our Congress from doing anything that's productive. Yeah, and that party has one of the biggest infrastructures that a party could want in a country, fighting against all of these policies. Yeah. So even though, like, at hand they're popular, um, if you attach a Democrat or even the word to it, it's bad. Yep. And... The one other piece I left out is I still argue that the Democrats are fighting from a minority standpoint in the Senate and the Republicans are still fighting like they're a majority, which is inherently flawed and very frustrating because the Republican Party doesn't know who it is without being a majority. And the Democratic Party knows that it's in charge, but it's too fearful of the potential backlash like they saw um, during the midterms under Obama, where they didn't see a majority until his last term as president. And that's a real fear to have. Um, but even beyond that, the Republican Party is also a party of heavy donor influence. Like without the NRA, the Republicans would be bankrupt. And I know that's an interesting statement because technically the NRA is bankrupt, but they still do get donations and very interestingly, interestingly have tied their money to the Republican National Committee so that they keep them funded. It's all of those pieces that hinder us from any type of reasonable change. Because once again, the Republicans were the ones who helped usher in our um, some of our strictest gun laws, one, after JFK died, and two, the assault rifles ban that they helped and co-signed um, under Bill Clinton. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. <laughs> Do we have time for one more? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Shout out to another fellow bisexual here, um, Jake. What are your predictions for the upcoming election? Oh my god, I don't want to predict the predictions. I'm assuming that's a shock. 
from the Nate Silver lover over here. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen, y'all. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to say we can take this as either presidential, so in the next three years, um, or midterms. Well, I mean, it's funny that this is from my boyfriend who submitted this question because he could not... I mean, prediction okay jacob you he wouldn't even be able to answer this question right now because he'd be so frustrated about the caveats that go into answering this question like i don't know do we pass this infrastructure deal or do we not because like my thoughts on the the midterms next year are going to be vastly different based on what ends up in this reconciliation package and if it gets passed and then what happens in december when we have to uh, nonetheless, have a fight over the debt ceiling again, which is the most ridiculous partisan fight that you know our 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 bad faith Republican counterparts in Congress continue to take out because they're the irresponsible ones, knowing we will never allow it to happen. Uh, but there's a lot of well, what happens here? What happens here? And quite frankly, most immediately, what the hell is going to happen with Terry McAuliffe's race in Virginia right now? Because that'll that's going to be the fire or the lack thereof one going into I think 2022, and then 2024. Don't ask me about mm. it till. Democrats are going to Democrats are going to lose the Senate. Like we can just own that one, right? Like that's a fair statement. Likely, but not. I mean, it just. I it just depends yeah. on so much. I feel like, don't you think? I mean, I mean, talk not only out. we're still a year out. There's so many not things. Not only do they change. have to keep Georgia, but they have to then win another seat. Still, like, I think if if well, Georgia shapes the up the worst way that map, I think it is. we don't have the worst map. It not really for the depends Senate, on for the House, so it's worse, right? I, yeah, the house. I, we, the house, I, I think, know. is going to actually end up being a lot safer than people give credit for because oh. I, I think a lot of people. Better? Yeah, I think a lot of people are too focused on this idea of like suburban flight and thinking that the only reason, or the reason the Democrats barely won, is because the suburbs have already shown that the Democrats have lost some way there. And there's that infamous call of we were tethered to um, defund the police. There was no way we were going to win in the suburbs. But I, I think, too, you have to remember that that was a very, very special time in election history. There were a lot of things happening at once. And I do think there was a little bit of, of white backlash of I can't vote for this party because I see the fires in the streets and I see all these things and they're supporting Black Lives Matter. I do think that plays into it. But oh, if you boy, enter boy. an election where we are now, where those aren't the leading headlines and those aren't the things that people care about, what ends up becoming the conversation, and I lean on, I think it was Politico who showed this, um, 47% of Americans crediting the Democratic Party, not the president, for the child tax care credit that has allowed for them to buy more food, to um, work from home and take care of their kid and save money, like all of these pieces. Even though the Democrats suck at messaging, there is this, there is this ability to say, where we are today is 100% better than where we are before. But I do think the pandemic's going to be a huge issue for the Democratic Party above all. I don't know. I Like, I think it is, but I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to, like, not try to predict what's going to happen. Right at, As of right now, it's not looking too great for the Democrats keeping control, if that's what you're hoping for. Um, if we're talking presidential, I don't know. That's too far out. I'm sorry. I'm kind of, it's a cop out, but I, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to predict what's going to happen because there's so many things. Biden hasn't even been president for a year and so many pieces of shit happened. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> Not in a negative I'm way, the prediction just... game. 
there's so many things that could happen in a year and a half before we even hit these elect this election season. Also, by that point in time, people are going to be so old, like people are going to think about the fact that we're not at war for the first time in 20 plus years. They are not going to think about. I don't even know. Are you how, sure about that? Hundred percent. No. How often do you hear about Afghanistan and our poor pullout now? How often do they bring don't. it up exactly? Well, that's what right. I mean. Oh, is but that what people you were are saying? people are going to think about the fact like. Oh, I haven't heard anything about Afghanistan. They're going to completely forget about the pullout. And I, I think most Americans have now. Like, we have the moment oh, yeah. people have. That's what I mean, I guess. Yeah. But they are going to think about the fact that my dad is home from that war. My my brother, my cousin, my sister, all these pieces. There are just so many positives that I think, and I mean, I'm an alarmist at times too, but I think a lot of alarmists jumped on this fact of, well, Biden's poll numbers have dropped and cratered and all of these things are going wrong. And da, 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 da. We have to remember that we're still over a year out from that election and more people are going to look and see a loved one that was overseas for 20 plus years and be like, oh my God, they're home. The war is over. And that realization is going to come to them before the realization that there was this hectic pullout because Biden just went with it. I feel like the narrative is going to be a lot more positive by the time we get to, I'm going to do a prediction on here. <laughs> Y'all can credit me when I mean, we get there. I'd like there. to agree with you, but I'm not, not um, confident in anything right now. <laughs> I think the narrative that we see, I think the narrative that we see in March is going to be drastically different than what we see here. The only caveat that I really think is going to hinder the White House and potentially hinder, hinder the Democrats is going to be the pandemic and the fact that people are still wearing masks People are still having this overt argument over whether or not to get the vaccination. And there's all of that being conflated. Well, I mean, I agree with you. I think the narrative is going to be completely different come March. But I think I think that's something I'm confident to say that we know it'll be different. But I, I don't know what it's going to be. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think I think that you're right. I, I think that there's a it will be different. That's a fact, right? Like it will be different than it is right now. That's for sure. But. We don't know what those differences will be. We know a lot of possible, like I mentioned right there at the beginning of the question, what a pos what possible, you know, to be a little funny, like whether it's a pothole or whether it is one of those, you know, Mario Kart fast track things, like what good or bad happens while we're governing that we can point to, right? Like I think that if we do pass these uh, really impactful provisions of the Build Back Better plan, that like we're we're literally by, you know, voting time next year we're gonna be like well look at this and look at mm -hmm. this that they can feel like the money in their pockets the the change in access the work on the roads the availability of jobs the increase of wages etc like if we can point to those things that that show up in their life on a daily basis i think that we have a better chance but we know that also the system the way that um our maps are drawn etc are against us so i mean i'm not optimistic but just because I'm lacking optimism doesn't mean that we need to stop getting to work and educating people and talking about what's important and hopefully supporting fucking candidates that are going to get something done. Yeah, that's also key. Yeah, no, just to jump off of that, I I think actually passing this stuff is like the bare minimum of what we need to do. It's not a guarantee we'll still win even if we do that. Um, and then it's just kind of like whether or not the Democrats will fuck it up or if outstanding circumstances also play into that or not. It's hard to know. Okay, y'all. So 
We know we're not getting to everyone's questions today. So over the next few weeks, uh, during our last segment of tangents, we will finish answering them. So giving you a reason to keep listening. (laughs) But um, I hate you. To, to end it, I have a couple questions here from my mom um, who really wanted, she had actually two questions. The first one, I just need one word answers from all of you. She wanted to know if we like cats or dogs better. Terrell? Torrance. Torrance? <laughs> dogs. But I'm, it's recently become like more of like a 49-51 thing. So yeah, I was going to say it's a perfect. I'm frightened by this development, just to let you know, because I would have oh, said like 90-10 a year ago. I'm a perfect bisexual in all things in life, apparently. <laughs> no, my boyfriend has like the the cutest cat who is also an absolute terror. Like, I mean, an absolute oh, terror, but he's very cute. So, and he's he's changed my opinion of cats in a, in a weird, also, very weird way. I also love Sphinx cats. Ooh. So like, clearly I have a very interesting love for cats, but you can't go wrong with like, a pupper who just like jumps on the couch oh, yeah, with you and no. curls up like yeah no 50, i was raised 50. with dogs See, these are reasonable answers. they give you more attention you know they give no, you more attention. cats Cat? definitely give you more attention depending no below, cats really. make make you work for it and yeah that's, dog is, like, but when they give happy. it to you you know how real it is a dog will literally just be like oh my god a hand yes all right moving on before this turns into a 20-minute conversation <laughs> uh, <laughs> i had things in the arsenal that i was like I was ready for it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> but yes, you're right. This is the age-old debate. Let's move on. So my mom actually had an interesting question. She really wants to know kind of what our future looks like. You know, how are we going to grow and promote ourselves? And yeah, really what we're going to do to like for over the next year to like uh, kind of just continue to grow as a podcast and bring more maybe guests on and and you name it, just all the different stuff that we could do. Um that was a little talking right there, but that was. I don't know. I'll start with you, Torrance. Um. Well, you know, I mean, I think be transparent. We've talked a lot about this. Um, that of course the main fo- the main purpose was because we wanted to talk to people about the relevant issues of our day, about politics, um, about the things that are going on in our lives as a way to process and as a way to deliver information and and perspective to people that they may not get. But also I think that we've discussed that like this is very much a passion project for us. We we love doing it. We love the creativity that we get to put into it. Um, and we also I think feel very proud of the work and the content that we create. Um, and I think that that is going to be a, a guiding light for us going forward. And that's what I hope continues to be. But I hope that we get to flex the creativity a little more, you know, increase the branding, reach more audiences, talk to more diverse voices and, mm-hmm. and maybe offer, offer new content offerings in, in, the, in the new year that kind of stick with our, our ethos, but maybe dive deeper into some specific things and offers people, you know, an opportunity to learn something or to, you know, be creative with us. And I think that those, that, that kind of description fits with what a lot of the stuff that we've discussed, but I, I look forward to being able to introduce our audience to some of those things. As the award nominated host on the pod, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm going to take my talent somewhere else and do my own thing. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the phone is ringing off the hook. Oh, it has been. So oh, many God. guest appearances lately. I'm even like exploring television. Jeez. Exhausted. Exhausted. Um, I'm still down for the whole like future of this is to build a political party because <laughs> I'm just, I'm over our current state situation. But 
I, I think the future is to continue fostering that community. I, we are in such a great place right now with listeners and and um, just partners in all fields. We built up um, core, what do we call them? Correspondence. We've built up correspondence <laughs> in different states, but also we've <laughs> connected with um, legislative champions that can actually tell us and, and speak to things that are happening. So I think for the future of the pod, it is one to grow outside of just the um, listening space, but two to continue being this informative um, body that allows for millennials and all Americans to speak. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree with what both of you said. I, like we've talked about this, um, we've talked about, you know, creating marketing plans and whatnot. And I feel like, I feel like, especially over the last six or so months, like, I feel like we're in a really good spot to continue to. Why don't you emphasize spot? Spot. <laughs> of all the I words, know, why actually. was that the one you. <laughs> I have no idea. I just think we're in a really good, we're place. in a really good place to, <laughs> to continue what we're doing and continue to grow and reach more people. And you know, I, I might have talked about this every once in a while um, over the past year, but like, I know my vision for this is kind of like becoming like a hub of different ideas and and um, ideas and like even policies or whatever it may be through blogs and, and different podcasts or whatnot. Like, and I, I still believe that we can do that. I um, obviously it's a year later and we haven't, but these things take time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that like we're in a really good spot to to go to a place like that or start to, especially over the next year. So stay tuned, y'all. And lastly, we do have one last question. It's that gonna, Caleb has been hyping up this entire time. It's uh it's pretty simple, really. It's from my girlfriend Maya. And she Hi, asks, Terrell, why do you have to be such a chaotic contrarian? <laughs> and then her second part of this is what did you say? He said an excellent question. I'm so ready for this. And then he said, or she said, Caleb and Torrance, are you both okay? <laughs> Maya, I love Maya, you. Really, I also, really I also want right you to blink twice because I know Caleb put something against your head to make you do this. No, so I she apologize. said it to me all by herself. I apologize that you had to be in that situation. Um, <laughs> I've said this on the pod before too, like, People who know me know I'm not the most conservative human. I'm definitely closer to center than both of y'all, but not the most conservative human. Um, He's so much more left than he'd like to admit. Let's fucking be real here, people. Track the policies. Like, (laughs) Um, But I, I do think that what I think our generation is very much more left than anyone wants to give it credit for, but I do think that that has fostered and given space for this ignorance and unruly, uneducated belief that somehow the conservative base is being like cut out of the narrative, right? So I am educated enough as both of y'all to like know both sides of an argument. And sometimes I, I feel like we're in a conversation where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm like, this conversation is a little too left. Like, let me, let me give this little space because I, I do think that can be valuable. And if that means I have to be a little contrary to y'all and really challenge y'all to defend what you're thinking better for it. 
I don't see it doing any harm. If anything, I mean, I'm giving you guys debating skills that you were lacking before. Okay, okay, okay. I was going to con- like be like, okay, I sort of agree, and I think it's a good thing. But yeah, but of I course, I didn't make one last debating day. skills. Okay, <laughs> I wasn't lacking any debating skills, but I do think that, like, actually, the thing that you said earlier in the the episode, I think, was the first time you ever said it, at least to me. I thought was the most valid argument you ever made for kind of sometimes doing this, which was it's a voice for another generation. Like, because you're right, our generation just so often agrees on things because, and you know why we get so frustrated about it is like, they just feel like common decency things. They feel like that's just how you treat other people. That's just, that's just what's just and right for people. And so it's so hard for us to be like, well, you want me to see eye to eye with you. You're asking me to accept less. Yeah, You are asking me, right? Like Mm -hmm. it can feel so deeply unfair, but that we don't get to just, you know, this is not the Hunger Games. We don't just get to kick them out and like kill them off. That's not a thing, right? Like they're people with feelings and thoughts and ideologies and beliefs too. And it's healthy for our democracy and for us to have those debates. And so I do, and I think to represent those existent voices in our in our country, sometimes, you know, God damn, I wish that you would freaking do it in a different way because like, I, like I'm i like, okay. This I can't is prep you before I do it. Like that would ruin It's an important conversation, but I'm like, hmm contributing to an early death by heart attack uh, or <laughs> so so like maybe if you care about me we can like adjust our approach but um maya i'm just okay <laughs> same maya i'm only just okay i can take my talents to one of the four other agencies reaching out right now <laughs> okay. wow the dramatic we uh, appreciate you, Terrell. That's what I thought. What... You're so great, Terrell. I... Thanks for being here. <laughs> Truly, we're lucky. <laughs> well, that's our show. I wish I could find... <laughs> well, that's our I show. I wish I could find the audio where it was... I think it was one of your first episodes on, too, where y'all were going back and forth, and I was just like... You know what's really funny? Like, you guys give me a lot of shit for being a contrarian and, like, being so aggressive and attacking, but... You two became friends because I helped facilitate that. And you guys laugh a lot. And I'm adding years to your life because you laugh so much by having some of these conversations. And, you know, just all the times and all the all the points of like, yeah, yeah, well, we want to get rid of you. And yet you keep inviting me on or like I make the script to get an episode done or like organize the, the Google drive, make the music, do the graphics. We are grateful for your presence. I'm just saying, but we must and, and will continue to call out the bullshit. Okay. And as the King of doing yes. so, let's not act like you do not uh, condone such actions because you are the, the bullshit call out police when you aren't being the bullshitter. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> All right, everyone. That's show. <laughs> happy one year to both of you. Yeah. Cheers again. In myself. Cheers. Happy one year, friends. Cheers. Oh, you still have some left. <laughs> Just a little last drop of Just a really good red. Thank you to everyone who has stuck along for the ride. Exactly. Thank you, audience. So and continue to reach out if you have any, I don't know, questions, comments, concerns. Yeah. Nah, save the concerns. <laughs> yeah, only send Terrell the concerns, actually. Um, oh, thank you. At ain't thinking. Because <laughs> he ain't never thinking. Let's have, a, let's have more Twitter. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Why not? We'll see you on the ether, listeners. I'm Caleb. I'm Terrell. And I'm Torrance. And we're dangerously likely to see you next week. <laughs>